Hi, welcome to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast, a weekly broadcast of our Sunday sermon. I am Lee Campbell-Taylor, the interim pastor here, and Covenant Presbyterian Church is an open, affirming congregation, and we're so glad you found us. Our primary mission is to equip God's people to serve Christ in the world. In our weekly messages, we hope that you'll find inspiration, encouragement, and even challenge for your faith journey. Please listen with us now. So, Ecclesiastes isn't much of a feel-good book, huh? In the excerpt we just heard from the opening of that text, we learn that the writer, whom we know as Kohelet, has applied himself to search out all that is done under heaven and has concluded that it is an unhappy business. He has seen all human activity and says we might as well be chasing the wind. He hates his own toil because basically you can't take it with you. And so he has given in to despair, summing up human existence thus. Days are full of pain. Work is a vexation. Even at night our minds do not rest. Or as Clark said, Bottom line, Kohelet finds that toil does not give meaning to our life. A millennium or so later, the writer of the Gospel of Luke let us hear Jesus' take on this. This is Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, friend, who set me to be judge or arbitrator over you? And Jesus said to the crowd, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And the man thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and all my goods. And then I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life is being demanded of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is for those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. When my three brothers and I were little, My parents were driven to establish a few hard and fast rules, including that there were two things we were never allowed to say to each other. One, we were never allowed to tell somebody to shut up. Now, the workarounds were pretty simple. You just say, stop talking. The other thing we were not allowed to say was we were never allowed to call somebody stupid. Now, my brothers, two of whom would grow up to be lawyers, negotiated loopholes such that if we could calmly provide evidence, then we might get away with telling somebody that something they had done was stupid, but we were forbidden to say, you're stupid. 
And this week, I have been haunted by that long-ago prohibition. It is hard for me to think of our gracious and loving God saying to someone, you fool. It's just so close to saying, you're stupid. My first reaction to this vocabulary was actually to question the translation. Perhaps instead of, you fool, the Greek was more along the lines of, you old silly head, but no. <laughs> According to St. Luke, Jesus quotes God as saying to someone's face, you fool. So there is something about this rich man in this story that provokes a strong reaction from on high. Now it's interesting trivia that this line is the only line God ever speaks directly in Jesus's parables. But what's the big deal? I mean, isn't this man just doing what all of us do, taking the fruits of his labor and making prudent preparations for his future? Why does that meet with such condemnation? Well, one of Luke's major themes is the hazards of worldly wealth. In this gospel's very first chapter, the newly pregnant Mary sings, my soul magnifies the Lord who has brought down the powerful and lifted up the lowly, filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. It's plain that Luke sees worldly wealth as treacherous because it is so often gained at the expense of the lowly and the hungry. Furthermore, the false sense of security we get from worldly wealth can lure us away from our connection with God. So Luke's got a point. I mean, anything that both deepens the plight of the poor and also causes us to turn away from God can't be good. Hence this parable. Jesus begins benignly, the land of a rich man produced abundantly, but from there on it's all downhill. Jesus proceeds, the man thought to himself, do you hear the self-absorption already kicking in? The man is in touch only with himself. And just listen to all the me, myself, and I language that comes next. The man thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. His barns are already full. Yet it's clear that his mind and heart are utterly empty of gratitude to God for this glorious abundance. So the man says, I'll build bigger barns and I will store all my grain and my goods. He's gonna store all of it. There's no, before I tuck away a chunk of this for a rainy day, let's see, how about 10% to the temple and 10% to charity and 10% to the neighbors who didn't have such a bumper crop, and yes, 10% to those who weren't lucky enough to inherit land and receive a good education and get adequate health care and grow up with all the benefits of the privilege that I have but didn't earn. This guy is anything but woke. There's no awareness of others. Just, I will store all my grain and my goods and I will say to my soul, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now, to be clear, the Bible doesn't object to eating, drinking, and being merry. Jesus enjoys many a good party. And for that matter, the Bible doesn't object to wise planning and careful saving. 
The great saga of Jacob and his sons turns on how Joseph prudently socked away the harvest of bountiful years in order to feed everyone during the subsequent famine. So the Bible isn't anti-enjoyment or anti-prudence, and yet Jesus' parable rolls relentlessly onward to that hard-to-hear line God said to the man, you fool, this very night your life is demanded of you. I expect this is a hard text for any of us to hear, regardless of the rules you remember from your childhood. It's hard because while we may not have barns, we sure have enough stuff to fill a barn. I don't have to tell you of the consumer culture that we live in, the peer pressure to purchase more, the bombardment of advertisements declaring that however much you have, you don't have enough. We may not be building bigger barns, but we are working longer hours, and we have created an entire industry, public storage, that didn't even exist when my brothers and I were looking for alternative ways to tell each other to shut up. All this stuff, it's the ultimate vanity that Kohelet laments. When we strive for stuff, we will be as weary and in despair as Kohelet over that stuff's inability to fill our lives. And so I'm grateful that, as Jesus puts it, one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Our life can instead consist of something that cannot be stored away in a barn. Our life can consist of connection with God and God's good creation. Instead of being fools, we have the opportunity to be what Jesus calls rich toward God. Now, what might that mean? Certainly, it means the opposite of how the man in the parable conducts himself. In fact, being rich toward God may be an antidote for our unhealthy fixation on stuff. The antidote for hoarding stuff is sharing stuff. It reminds me of being out for a walk with one of the wise people in my life, a quirky elderly gentleman by the name of Ken Kinman. I remember Ken and I once strolling past a yard sale, and Ken mutters, yard sales, that's when it all went wrong. <laughs> I'm sorry, Ken, what did you just say? Yard sales. If you don't need it, give it away. Don't sell it, share it. Instead of always trying to get something, just give. Also reminds me of Alison Kaufman. Just a week or two ago, giving me three of the most delicious tomatoes I have eaten in I don't know how long. I absolutely would have paid money for those heirloom treats but the Kaufmans had a volunteer tomato plant that was producing abundantly. And Allison didn't just store it away, she gave it away. Instead of building bigger barns, the rich man in the parable could have given, given thanks to God to begin with for his surplus, and then given his surplus to God's beloved who actually need it. Maybe giving 
which is something that does not factor into Kohelet's assessment. Maybe giving helps us be rich toward God. It sure would be handy if Jesus or the gospel writer or even Kohelet would have spelled out just what it is to be rich toward God. But the phrase is left unexplained. So I would feel like, well, a fool if I tried to pin down too tidily what Luke and Jesus saw fit not to explicate at all. But maybe we can all wonder together. I wonder if those of you who've served in Haiti have witnessed in person what it is to be rich toward God. I mean, the people of Laganov are definitely not rich in stuff. Yet by all accounts, they are rich in a faith, in a spirit that inspires the likes of John Greeley and Brooke Taylor and Jim Ingvolstad and Charlotte Cook, Brent Adams, Rena Moroccan, many more of you. I wonder if those who participated in Habitat for Humanity builds have experienced something of being rich toward God. You spend your Saturday building a house for a stranger who would otherwise not have a house, and you are paid only in blisters or a stiff back, and yet everyone feels undeniably enriched. Yes, Rena? I wonder if being rich toward God involves pondering the human tendency toward greed and our skewed sense of personal security, or perhaps acknowledging that whatever we think of as ours is ours by the grace of God, or just deprioritizing self in order to focus on everyone else. The man in the parable, the one God, God called you fool, was so focused on himself that he missed out on everything else, on life. And that is indeed the foolishness of a fool. It's not that God is calling him names. God isn't being rude. God is being observant and honest. So if ever you notice that I am foolishly focused on some stuff that belongs to me and I lose sight of the God to whom I belong, do me a favor and call me a fool. But never mind about me. Be on the lookout in your own life and in the life of this congregation. As Jesus puts it, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Oh, thanks be to God our lives do not consist of heaped up stuff. Thanks be to God we have opportunities to connect with one another, to connect with God, to give to others, to give back to God, to be rich toward God and God's good creation. Thanks be to God who is so rich towards us as to give us God's own self. We'd be such fools to focus on anything less, such fools to be less than rich towards such a God. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Covenant Presbyterian Church podcast. I invite you to visit our website, covpresatl.org. That's C-O-V-P-R-E-S-A-T-L.org. There you'll find current worship information, links to our live Sunday morning streaming service, 
and our full archive of recorded services. You'll also find out more about us and how to get in touch. I wish you well in these strange times. God is with us. Grace and peace to you.